Good evening. Sure is good to see everyone. I have to be focused on saying good evening because uh, my congregation back in Fayetteville, Tennessee, uh, on Sundays we meet on Sunday morning only, and we just kind of go as long as it takes us to get done, and so we don't return on Sunday night, so very rarely do I get to say good evening uh, to the congregation, and many times speaking on Sunday night somewhere I say good morning, so I did it right this time, but I had to tell on myself a little bit. It is good to be here with you. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm from Tennessee. I'm sure that's hard to tell uh, since I opened my mouth. Uh, my cousin and I, who he's a minister in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, have been here this weekend for the Youth Forum, uh, and it's been a tremendous blessing to be here. It's been awesome. Uh, yesterday, we spent about 13 hours with your young people, and we had a blast. We had a lot of fun, uh, and they seem to have a whole lot of fun. And so, uh, to be in an area, any area, where the youth make a decision to do that, to be together for that long, is a tremendous statement about who you are and what you love and what you're about. And so I'm thankful uh, for that. Uh, my cousin and I uh, have been around, not really around the world, but certainly in the United States, uh, speaking and being different places, and we've been certainly impressed uh, with the group here. I would encourage you, we... We love to kind of keep in contact with people. We have a website, benandtravis.com. We have a ton of free uh, Christian content. Uh, we try to bring uh, light to mental health from a Christian perspective. Uh, he's the all-pro counselor, and I'm the guinea pig. Uh, so if that sounds like something you'd be interested in knowing more about, we'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, or like you said, uh, you can check that website out, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, this evening, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to make our way, and we're going to spend most of our time together in Deuteronomy chapter 10. In Acts chapter 2, which is uh, a very familiar verse for most of those in the Church of Christ, because uh, that's kind of how we mold ourselves, that's how we kind of line up what we believe and how we want to conduct ourselves uh, as a body of believers, as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47 uh, to begin and kind of set the framework uh, for what we're going to talk about uh, this evening. Uh, and so in verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Uh, now, whether, now, as a history, uh, I have a degree in history and I teach history from time to time, uh, I oftentimes hear... It's never been this bad. And I say, well, maybe we can say it's never been this bad in America. Maybe we should add that, ne that next part, and we could debate about what generation is worse than the other. Uh, but I love this statement here. If you want to be delivered from this crooked generation, and then he goes to unpack what the church is and his answer, what, right? What is God's answer to a crooked generation? Well, first of all, it's Jesus and the truth that is embodied in Jesus, but then it's the body of Christ. And so he unpacks that, and it's a very practical thing. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so how did we get to this? Well, if you look at the rest of chapter 2, and I encourage you to read that on your own time later today or later this week, he delivers a sermon, right? Peter preaches a sermon, and he preaches a sermon from the law and the prophets. And so it's not really anything new that we're doing per se. It's new in one sense, but it's something that's been planned for all of time. It was a plan that God put in place, and we see this. We look at Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, and it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God, which is informed by Deuteronomy chapter 10. And so the eras of the Bible, however you want to break those up, and there is some debate of those, Uh, But if you take them as you come to them in the book, you start off with the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, or as Paul calls it, the law. And so we'll make our way there in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and looking at verses 12 and 13 to begin. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. For your good. And so he starts off there with a fear of the Lord. Behold, the Lord your God, verse 14, belong, uh, to your God belong heaven and the heaven of the heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Then verse 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. And so a little bit of unpacking here, right? Uh, There kind of is a movement today, uh, and you know, people question why they come to know the Lord and why they love the Lord. And there's kind of been some shade or negativity surrounding maybe getting baptized or coming to Jesus out of fear. And I really don't see the problem there, right? When I was 12 years old, uh, I did not want to go to hell. I, I was scared to go to hell. And so I made the commitment to Jesus because I believed that if I committed to Jesus and I was baptized into him, that that would solve that problem. I wouldn't need that fear anymore. And so as I read Deuteronomy, it's interesting to me that the command first here is to fear God. I can remember my mom saying, you know, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it, right? I can help you exit that. And so I don't think that starting with a healthy fear of the Lord is such a bad place to start. It's kind of a good beginning place, right? As a football coach for over a decade, I felt like I eventually became a, a guy who really just taught people their limitations. I would push them as far as they could and also help them remember that there's always somebody out there who's bigger, faster, and stronger than they are. And then to give them the technique to be able to handle that person when they run across that. And so it's healthy for us to have a fear, a respect 
for who God is. You see, in Revelation, I know people get nervous about Revelation, and there's all kinds of beliefs and things out there. And I, I generally, and I'm sure this is an oversimplification, but God wins. That's just kind of how I look at Revelation. Hey, guys, God wins, and he's got this. But there is an aspect of Revelation of fear, that there is this God who is going to call all men, all, every knee will bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. We would just rather you do it now and get all the benefits of that. He's incorruptible. Think about the things in life that are incorruptible. These bodies of ours, they're going to rot and decay. And they're going to go away. They bruise. They get sick. They get pushed past their limits, as I've experienced this week here in Alaska. All right? they, they get to the point where they can't do it anymore. God never reaches that point. He's incorruptible. He can't be bought, right? We've all probably done it. Oh, God, if you will do this, then I will do that. And we bargain and we think that we have an equal playing field with God. But more and more I take solace in the fact that he's incorruptible. He can't be bought. He can't be overthrown. He's the true definition of sovereignty. Romans 8.28, right? For all things work for the good of those who, for your good, begins with a fear of the Lord. Second thing he commands us, and this is really a Torah innovation, is to love him. To my knowledge, there is not a, a holy book that uh, predates the Torah that commands people to love God or to love their gods. Usually it was appease them, make some sacrifice that they might be happy enough to send you some rain. But we have this idea of a commandment to love God. Which means it's also sometimes difficult to love God. Otherwise, why would he command it? So as we read the Old Testament, understand it within its own culture. That for God to show up and command people to love him, that he would be concerned with that, that he would desire that, is an innovation, a revelational thought uh, within a holy book, especially when this one was written. The third, or of course, Jesus says in John 14, 5, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. I find it interesting that he goes to Peter after the resurrection and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? Right? Because Jesus, or Peter, denied him three times. And what is Jesus' response? Feed my sheep. If you love me, you're going to take care of your neighbor. You're going to serve your neighbor. So the third aspect of for your good is to serve the Lord your God with everything that you have. We've talked about that a little bit. I do want to look at verse 15 here in chapter 10. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day. And then verses 18 through 19, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so we pick up here in verse 6. Actually, I want to finish with 19. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land 
of Egypt. So even in the Torah, what is he trying to do? Get us to connect with one another. Put yourself in the sojourner's shoes because it wasn't that long ago that that's exactly who you were. We might replace the word sojourner with the lost or the sinner. It hasn't been that long ago, especially in considering eternity, that you were exactly the same way. And how would you want to be treated, which then makes us think of treat others as you'd have them treat you. Chapter 10, verse 16, we're told to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Treating people justly. That also goes into feeding my sheep. You know, it took a stubborn people to witness the miracles of the exodus and still not trust and obey God. And so if they struggle with that, it can be very difficult for us not to take for granted what God has done for us and continues to do for us every single day. And so in verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Be no longer stubborn. And finally tonight, keep the Lord's commandments and laws. Chapter 10, verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Why does he tell them this? For their own good. In another place in Deuteronomy, he says, so that you may live. That whole mom statement again, right? (laughs) I brought you into the world. I can take you out. And the beauty of that is, is it's not just living to get by. It's the best life we can live. A life in service to God is the best life that one can live. It is the best choice that we can make. You know what holiness does for us? It elevates man from the animals and protects the ethical. It protects the ethical. If we all want to just act like animals... Let's just take God's word and throw it out the window and act as though it doesn't have any meaning. What amount of pride does it take to think that we can do this without him? When it really takes humility to just say, hey, you got this. I trust you with everything I have, and I'm just going to do the best that I can. You know, we're called to walk only in his paths. As we wrap up tonight, I want to look at Acts chapter 24. And look at what Paul has to say about the way, the path that Jesus left behind. In Acts chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, looking through verse 16. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, whose way is that? 
God's way, the one that is laid out in the book of Deuteronomy, the one that is laid out in the prophets, and the one that is laid out in Acts chapter 2, which is the bedrock foundation of what we're doing here tonight, which they call a sect. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God, both God and man. How do we have a clear conscience before God? We give him everything we have, and we show our love for God by how we love our fellow man. Paul took every opportunity given him to tell others about what Jesus has done. Tonight, if you feel like you don't have any hope, I want to tell you that you do. As long as you're breathing air and you have an opportunity to choose God, to choose Jesus, you have hope. And really, those of us that that proclaim the name of Jesus, we do that with every breath. We make that choice. If you're in Christ, you've been baptized into him, and all of us have things that could be better in our lives, We're going to sing a song of encouragement, and in that, you can reflect on things in your life that need to be better, and you can make a commitment right where you're sitting. If you've fallen away or you have an issue with someone, there's some action, there's some things that you need to do. uh, That can get started tonight as well. If you're outside of Jesus and you've not committed yourself to the way left by him, the path that's been treading away perfectly, so that we can follow in that path, then why not tonight? Why not leave here with the greatest hope ever offered mankind? There's no reason why you leave here tonight dreading eternity because it's an opportunity for all to come to know him better. If there's a way that we can assist you, that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus this evening, there'd be no greater thing that we would love to do than to do just that. And we're going to give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.